Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, if you want to turn with me. It says this, If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, you will find it. There's two ways to read that scripture. The first one is Jesus is calling you to sacrifice so that you prove to him how serious you are about following him. Take up your cross. If you don't take up your cross, you're not worthy of being mine. You've got to prove yourself. You've got to inflict pain on yourself to show how serious you are about following him. The other way to read that scripture, and I think the more appropriate way, is that there is something about the cross, something about sacrifice and pain, which actually leads to life. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it, but if you give it up, you will find it. There is something about giving up our life that we find something new. Death and suffering give way to rebirth. It's kind of the law of nature that in order for things to live, living things to live, they need to consume another living thing. You eat animals or plants, both living things, in order to continue to live. A fruit tree, you know, imagine an apple, an apple falls to the ground, the flesh has to die and rot away for the seeds to be revealed. And then the seeds have to die for it to bring new life. It is kind of the law of nature. That there is something about suffering and pain and death which leads to life. If you refuse to take up the cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, you will find it. Could it be that Jesus is actually onto something here? That actually through death and suffering and pain and sacrifice, there is something of new life to be found. There was a study done in the late 70s by a couple of universities in the States, and they tracked two groups of people. The first group of people had a life-altering event. They won the lottery, anywhere from $50,000 to a million dollars. It was the late 70s, so it was a lot of money. Uh, Really life-altering kind of money. Um, The other group of people also had a life-altering event, some sort of accident that led them to be in a wheelchair, to become paraplegic. So two life-altering events, and they tracked these groups of people uh, through their life, and they measured their happiness, their general daily happiness. And as little as six months after that life-altering event, the group that were paraplegics registered, self-registered a higher level of general happiness than those that won the lottery. Isn't that really interesting? In my um, pastoral experience, um, walking with people, it's often the times of hurt and pain and sorrow that lead to the greatest sense of growth. You know, a marriage breakup or a loss of a job or some sort of public humiliation. Often people will tell you this. They'll say, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I wouldn't want to do it again. 
but it's made me who I am today. You hear that so often. And it's not very often you hear, oh, I had the cruisiest year and I've grown so much. You know, like there's something about just living through death, pain, grief that leads to resurrection. It refines us. It rebirths us. Every crucifixion is a gateway to resurrection. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. But if you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And uh, this Wednesday marks the beginning of the Lent season. Now, we follow the uh, liturgical church calendar. We try to fairly loosely, but we think there's beauty in it. It's, it's uh, carried on from tradition and generations, which seeks to embody the Jesus story through different seasons of the calendar. Uh, Lent is the lead up to Easter, the kind of pinnacle moment for us as Christians, the death and resurrection. It's the, it's the 40 days in lead up. We do Advent, which is the lead up to Christmas. We do Eastertide. Um, all of these things are to help us, remind us, and live out the story of Jesus every single year. And historically, Lent begins on this coming Wednesday. And if you have ever been to a liturgical church, they would have a gathering on Wednesday, and they would do Ash Wednesday, and they would draw an ash cross on your forehead. And it's a sign of literally taking up our cross and following Jesus, that we follow the crucified Christ. We follow the Christ that suffers. We follow the Christ that sacrifice. Um, and the last couple of years, we've done Ash Sunday today, where we actually will, you have an opportunity uh, after our gathering to come and receive an Ash Cross. It is a sign that we identify with the death and suffering of Jesus. It's in the suffering and pain of life that we actually find the face of Jesus. Our God is the one that hung on the cross. And no matter what grief we're walking through, what pain we're walking through, the promise is that we actually find the face of Jesus in there. And so we'll do that at the end um, to, to kind of take that if you want. If you don't want to, that's totally fine. Um, you get a chance to come and receive that. But there are three practices of Lent. Three practices of Lent. Uh, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, or generosity. And these are three practices pulled straight from the Sermon on the Mount. We're about to start a series going through the Sermon on the Mount starting next week. And these are the three practices that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, when you fast, do this. When you pray, do this. When you give, do this. And his general kind of uh, synopsis of each of those things is that make sure when you do those things, not if you do them, but when you do them, they are practices of following Jesus, fasting, praying, and giving. When you do them, don't use them as performances, don't use them to gain favor with people or try and gain favor with God. Use them as practices which shape us in the shape of the cross, put us in a cruciform shape. So uh, the first one, these are all invitations for us over the next 40 days to invite us into deeper practice as we intentionally walk towards Good Friday and Easter. Prayer, prayer is simply put our relational life with God. It's not just talking to God, it's listening to God. It's being with God. It's our relational life. It is the heart of the Christian life. It's communing and communicating with God. David Brenner says this, prayer is the soul's native language. I love that idea. Prayer is my soul's native language. 
It's the heart of the Christian life. John Tyson, he's a pastor, um, Australian dude who pastors a church in um, New York City. He says this, the two promises of prayer are peace and power. Peace and power. Peace and power, the two promises of prayer. I have a, a mate, his name's Trevor, and um, he mows our lawns at the clam. He, he's um, an older guy, and he says he'll never walk in a church because the roof will cave in. He's kind of that, that sort of guy, but he, he mows our lawns for free, and I don't know why. He just decided to do it one day, and he's just done it for, for years and years. And over um, the last couple of years when we've been here, I've gotten to know him and um, gone to coffee with him a few times. And one time, he asked if we could go for coffee, and he sat me down, and he said, um, I'd love for you to pray for my friend. Uh, my friend John, he's just been diagnosed with cancer. He said, all my friends are dying, and um, I just don't know what to do. And so I was like, yeah, of course, I'll pray for John. And so I committed to pray for John, and over the course of a year, um, John, uh, he's free of cancer, which is awesome. Went through, you know, all the treatment, really good stuff. And um, this just like blown Trevor's mind. Like he just cannot understand it. He's just like, he's talked to him every time. He's the most stoked. He got Carmen to take a photo of me and Trevor so he could send a photo to John um, of the dude who prayed for him. And um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Trevor sends me another, another text. He say, can you, can you pray for my mate Stretch? He just got diagnosed with cancer. I was like, yeah, I'll pray for stretch. And then on Wednesday, last Wednesday, he said, the test came back negative. He doesn't have cancer anymore. And so Trevor's just like blown away at the power of, at the power of prayer. And um, he sends this, this message from, from stretch. Tell your pastor, thanks, mate. That's what he says. <laughs> but there is power in prayer. Peace and power are the two, are the two promises of prayer. And the next 40 days is an invitation into a deeper level of prayer. And I want to invite you just into one simple practice that I'd love for you to join us in as we lead up to Easter. It's simply praying the Lord's Prayer once a day, in the morning or whenever works for you. Um, There is power in the Lord's Prayer. It's the kind of central motif of the Sermon on the Mount. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Literally 15 seconds of prayer. And if you choose to take up this little practice, there's a couple of things that it actually does. Number one is you are memorizing scripture. If you haven't got that memorized, if you pray that every day, you will have it memorized. We pray it in the NIV. You can pray it in any translation you want. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. Um, the second thing is you're literally praying what Jesus asked you to pray. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're, asked, we're praying in the way that Jesus asked us to pray. Very, very simple. Um, number three is you can't underestimate the power of those words. Our Father in heaven. Just to be reminded of that daily, that I have a Father in heaven. I'm part of the family of God. Uh, hallowed be your name. Your name be kept holy. Other, you are big and out there and uncontrollable. Your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. You cannot underestimate the power of those words. Give us our daily bread. Give us what we need. Forgive my sins as I forgive the people around me and deliver me from the evil one. There are, there's just huge power 
in those words. And the fourth thing is that it is helping you become a prayerful person. Not just someone who would like to pray or knows that praying is good. If you pray the Lord's Prayer every day, you're the person that prays every day. You're a prayerful person, and there is power in that. Ronald Rollheiser, um, Catholic philosopher, he says, there's one rule to prayer. Just show up regularly. Just show up regularly. That's the one rule to prayer. 15 seconds a day, the Lord's Prayer. The second practice of Lent is fasting. Uh, Jesus says, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast. And for most of Christian history, um, fasting was a normal part of every Christian's life. Most Christians would fast every week, one day a week, from dinner the night before to dinner the next night, 24 hours. Um, That sort of faded away in the last couple of hundred years. But for most of Christian history, that was just a really, really normal thing to do. In fact, John Wesley, who was um, uh, led kind of the Great Awakening in England in the 1800s, uh, he wouldn't ordain a priest or a pastor unless they fasted twice a, twice a week, which we just think that's ridiculous. But like, that's just how normative it was to be a, a, a person that fasts. Um, fasting is simply saying no to something in order to say a big yes to Jesus. That's all it is. Saying no to something in order to say yes to Jesus. Um, to say yes to more awareness of his presence. To say yes to more time in silence and prayer and scripture. When we take out that part of, you know, us, whatever it is, fasting from food or social media, when, you know, all that time you save, you draw your attention back to God. John Mark Comer says, fasting is praying with your body. I love this. I've, I've recently, you know, in the last 12 months, tried to have a, a regular rhythm. And every time I feel hungry, it's just that prayer. Like, I'm praying with my body. I'm praying with my body. My, my body is crying out to you, God. It's a way of crucifying our flesh. And in, in biblical theology, our flesh is not, not your body. Your body is a really important part of who you are, and it's not something that should be crucified. Um, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is good. Jesus resurrected into a body. But your flesh is the word that um, particularly Paul uses to describe the kind of animalistic base desires of you, the things that you hunger and crave, the desire to be noticed and wanted, your um, hunger for food or sex or attention or whatever it is. Uh, it's crucifying that. It's saying, Whatever that is, the hungers that I have, I have a hunger that's deeper than that. It's my hunger for God, my hunger for the presence of God. It's reminding my flesh who's in control. Reminding my flesh who's in, in control. So one practice that you could take up this Lent is forego something over the 40 days of Lent. Um, traditionally, you would fast every day except for Sunday. Sundays are feast days because they're the days that we remember the resurrection. So you fast every day except for Sundays, 40 days, starting Wednesday all the way to Good Friday. Um, you can fast food. You might want to do that, that old uh, uh, type of fasting that I talked about before, just 24 hours, dinner to dinner. Um, you might want to forego something else, maybe coffee or alcohol or hot showers or TV or media um, or social media. Saying no to something in order to say a big yes to Jesus. 
Um, and I just want to make this really clear. If you've had any sort of eating disorder, fasting will not be a helpful practice for your spirituality. You can um, uh, do something else, fast something else that's, that's helpful for you, not food. So prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, which is particularly generosity towards the poor, generosity towards those in need. James Martin is a Jesuit priest, and he says, the most direct way to God is through the faces of the poor. The most direct way to God is through the faces of the poor. It comes from that parable that Jesus told about the sheep and the goats. He says, whenever you visited someone in prison, whenever you gave a drink to someone who was thirsty, whenever you gave clothes to someone who needed clothes, you were doing it directly to Jesus. That we find Jesus in those around us that are actually in need. Um, it is a way of identifying with the sacrificial love of Jesus. That's the kind of picture of the cross, to give yourself in order that someone might have something. Very simple practice for us um, this Lent is in the foyer, there is a yellow bin from Shoebox Revolution. Shoebox Revolution is an incredible local charity that operates out of the community center in um, the entrance. And they create little shoebox packs to give to people who are experiencing homelessness or are on the fringe of being homeless or fleeing domestic violence with just really practical needs, some food, some um, toiletry items, um, anything that's of help. So I would love over the next six Sundays to fill that bin multiple times as we just bless those around us. And maybe that's a practice you could take up just to, I don't know, bring one small item every Sunday. Um, at the moment, they're particularly after men's deodorant and, you know, the little um, packets of tissues, the individual packs. Um, but anything will do, cans of soup, socks, um, toothbrush, anything like that. There's a whole list that we'll um, put out. But that's a great way for us to just get involved practically with those in need in our community. So prayer, fasting, and almsgiving or generosity. And these are all uh, invitations. They're not expectations. You don't have to do it. But it's an invitation. It's an opt-in. It's one way that we can take the words of Jesus seriously here, that we would take up our cross, that we would identify with his way of sacrifice so that we can experience new birth and resurrection. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. I'd love for you to just take a few moments just to close your eyes. You might want to plant your feet firmly on the ground. Just remind yourself where you are. Take a few deep breaths. And maybe you just want to ask God about those invitations to prayer, to fasting, to, to generosity. And is there something within that that he's calling you to over this next season of Lent? Father, we just ask that you would speak. We want to be a people that truly follow you, that take your words seriously, that don't just listen to your words, but we actually just, we practice them, we live them out. We thank you so much for the cross, that you didn't cling to your life, you gave it up for us. You gave us a pattern and a path to follow, to birth a new life, a new world, a new creation, a new government here on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done. 
So we ask that over this Lent season that you would turn us into a people that look more and more like you. We just give you a few moments to speak. Jesus, we thank you that you speak. We thank you for your invitation. I pray that uh, whatever we've heard this morning that's from you, may we lean into it, may we run towards it. Anything that's not, may it just fall away. And uh, we thank you for your constant invitation to grace, to receive forgiveness and new life. In your name, amen. Hey, we're going to um, stand and sing in just a moment. Um, but you have the chance to come up. Mel's going to have a little bowl of ash. I've got a little bowl of ash. And receive a, a ash cross on your forehead as a way of taking up our cross, identifying with Jesus. And um, as, as you come, we'll say the words repent and believe the gospel. It's a traditional thing to say. It comes from um, Mark's gospel. It's some of the first words that Jesus speaks. Repent and believe the gospel. And those words are fairly loaded Often we think about, you know, someone, you know, ash, turn and burn, you know, like on the street corner. Um, But it's actually really beautiful. Repent means to change your mind, to rethink, to turn or to return. I love that. Come back to who you really are, to realign your vision towards Jesus and believe the gospel, believe the good news, that there is invitation to life and resurrection, even in the depths of suffering and pain and grief and ash that God brings beauty from ashes that's the story of Easter so let's all stand together when you're ready um, you can come out and, and grab some ash we're going to sing together